The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Who is this year's Julio Rodriguez? Nobody. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Thursday, January 12th. Frank Sample joined by Scott White and Chris the Welsh. For those listening on the audio side, you know what I love is that our intro says... Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. And it works regardless, whether it's a Towers, uh-huh. whether it's a Welsh. It does. I, you know, works perfectly. Love it. I think next week there, there's going to be a meeting of the Chris's oh, that yeah. will mess that up. Yeah. But you're right. You're right. Usually they're we'll just make an Chris edit. or the other. Just make the edit where he goes, Frank, Scott, Chris, and just do the two Chris's <laughs> and just make the edit in there. It'll work. So that'll be good. Yeah, it's yeah. a little sneak peek for next week. I'm going to be out next week. I'm actually coming down to Scotty's neck of the woods, taking a little mm. vacay, meeting some people. I've worked with Scott for yeah. almost three years. I've never met him in person. So never, we're going to change I, I, that. I don't know what you look like from the shoulders down you yeah. know like uh what's 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 going on there in the midsection i have no clue and i look so, well is it because those are going to happen let's not the midsection's fine everything but uh, yeah, are you guys well, going to meet up specify the area below the shoulders that i was referring to because um, frank and i have hung out we've hung out scott i haven't yeah. had a chance to hang out with you either but frank and i have are, are you two planning uh, uh battle of the minds yes yeah we got something in the i works. mean we haven't we, we don't know exactly what we're going to like. I kind of want to just have him over here. So it'll be like he's walking onto a movie set, you know, this, Ooh, this yeah. background that he's the Truman show screen. be very yeah. Truman show. I think you guys should go somewhere and you should just say exactly where you're going and just see how many people show up. I think that would be great, too. <laughs> no, I, great idea. I think that would be a terrible idea. Well, <laughs> you know, what would be hilarious, though, if I just show up and I'm like Modoc from Iron Man. Just like the little legs and just like floating around and stuff. And he just had no idea. I love it. Never saw me before. Anyway, today on the show, uh, Scott's Top 100 Prospects article should be out on Thursday at some point on Thursday. So to co- commemorate that article, we're just going to bounce around Scott's Top 100 and talk about all the prospects that you need to know for this upcoming season. We did have some news, of course, a small trade, a small signing, and Comerica Park changed their dimensions. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. I led with Julio Rodriguez. I could be wrong about this, Scott, but I think that there will be a bit of a prospect chase in drafts this year following the huge seasons that we saw in 2022. Julio Rodriguez, now a first-round pick in fantasy. Michael Harris and Spencer Strider were were both amazing. They're likely going to be top 40, top 50 picks in fantasy baseball this year as well. And I think that might have a bit of a ripple effect this season when people are kind of trying to chase that unknown, chase the prospects once again for fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Um, obviously, the two standouts who are going to be high on everybody's draft boards are, are Gunnar Henderson and, and Corbin Carroll, who, of course, we saw at the end of last year. And I do think that's going to become a trend where uh, we get kind of this sneak preview the previous September uh, because of the way 
uh, draft pick incentives have been worked in um, for for uh, uh, for service time considerations. So there there is a clear duo. Uh, I, I guess since there's more assurance when they're going to be up, they're going earlier than Julio Rodriguez did last year, but not that much earlier than Bobby Witt went last year. You know, So I, I don't know that it's changed that much. And I do feel like you said at the very top, uh, who's this year's Julio Rodriguez? No one. And I don't know if, where exactly you were going with that, but I did have the thought, okay, Gunnar Henderson, Corbin Carroll, they're my number one and two. But they don't feel like as exciting of a number one and two as we've had in recent years. Uh, I, I do think they're going to be fine fantasy players and, and you know, have high-end outcomes potentially, but they don't feel like that, oh, this is going to be a generational player, uh, which is the feeling I got with like a Julio Rodriguez and a Wander Franco. Have some doubts about that for Franco now, uh, but I did at the time thought he was going to be that really, really huge first rounder for years to come type player Vladimir Guerrero I, I would say I felt that way about him of course like Ronald Acuna so just thinking of, thinking about some of the number one overall prospects in recent years I, I don't get quite the same feeling from the guys at the top of the list this year all right we'll talk about those guys in just a second again Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson well something I thought about while I was making the rundown today is in 2020 and 2021 we saw a bunch of prospects come up and fail and in you know the in previous years, decades, that was the MO. And then in 2022, we obviously saw all these breakouts from prospects. Do you think the further we get away from that COVID-shortened season where there was no minor league season, and I think we felt those effects in 2021, the further we get away, the more ready some of these prospects will be at the major league level moving forward? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's like a roundabout way of how you said that that's probably the case. There's definitely... From the very bottom, uh, just for people that in Dynasty Leagues that pay attention to it, the J-15 class, the international class, used to be the J-2, as they called it, um, the July 2nd. Now it's January 15th. That class is about to sign. And what I'm saying here is, is like the development has been awful. Like since COVID, the whether it's a scouting or the development is really produced almost nobody. Since 2019, about the only prospect to feel like it's produced is Jason Dominguez. And we have seen that across levels. You know, I thought it would be after COVID, you kind of thought you'd have like a substantial like, oh, this is the level where people struggled. But it's kind of been all over the board. And I always come back to that thing a couple of years ago that Craig Council talked about that the transition from AAA to the majors is more difficult than it's ever been before. And he was talking about Heston uh, Kira at that, or Keston uh, Hira at that time. <laughs> I, I went with Heston I've Kerstead done that with on his that. name a lot too. Yeah, I totally just went into Heston Kerstead there. And um, you're seeing that and you have just like such a, a backtrack now of players like Jared Kelnick, Joe Adele. I mean, those are the poster children for it right now of, of the lack of development. And theoretically, we could chalk that up to just this crazy mixed up time where guys had really, really bad development. If injuries came into play, both Joe Adele and Jared Kelnick did suffer injuries during that exact same time, too. So, yeah, I think like roundabout how you said it, the further we get away from it, Teams have a different way to prepare for players. There's probably a different process. And now that there's the knowledge that these guys, there's extra compensation and teams are going to be more aggressive in how they're treating these guys, we're just going to see a hyper-aggression put to these prospects that hopefully is also attached to their training process. There's a player we're going to talk about, uh, and it's actually something you tweeted me about, or you texted me about earlier today, that there's a guy that we just saw in the AFL that typically feels like he'd have been maybe a year and a half away, that there's already rumors he's going to come up this year. And I think that's all part of the same plan, that teams are all changing the scope of what they're doing. Baseball is becoming a little bit more you know, centralized and, you know, stolen bases are going to be easier. And now we're going to have challenges for behind the plate that these teams are just being able to prep these guys at a better way that we don't have to wait five years for at least the top guys. So yeah, that's just me kind of like self-working it out as you answered that question to hopefully give a semi-fluid answer. All right. So let's jump into Scott's top 100 prospects. Spoiler, we're, we're not going to talk about all top 100, but we are going to jump around a little bit, and we'll start with the top two names that Scott has already mentioned. His number one prospect is Gunnar Henderson, who is a traditionally shortstop with the Orioles, but he played third base last year. That's where he'll have eligibility on both CBS and end sites like NFBC. I guess there's a chance he could earn shortstop if he plays there this season. Yeah, he'll uh, play some shortstop, I'm sure. 
And then Corbin Carroll, who is an outfielder with the Arizona Diamondbacks, who I spoke about extensively on yesterday's podcast as well. Scott, the early ADP for both of these guys, 92.4 for Gunnar Henderson. Corbin Carroll is at 72.1, so about 20 spots higher than Gunnar Henderson. I looked up Bobby Witt's ADP from last year. It was 82.2, so basically split the difference there right in between. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about the early cost for each of those guys? Uh, I don't think it's so far off from where I have them. I, I do have Henderson ahead of Carroll, and so maybe maybe I'm priced out of the Carroll range there. I have a little a little bit of a question with him how much uh, home run power is actually going to be there. And that's th- those are questions that have followed him throughout his professional career. Uh, it was a very short amount of time he spent in the minors, at least in terms of games played between the pandemic and he missed most of the following year with the injury. Always raked. But, you know, most of it came at double A AA and triple A. And we've talked about it with the Diamondbacks pitching prospects, how favorable those parks are for hitters and for power. And uh, Alec, Alec Thomas kind of faked us out with the power at those two levels. And maybe Corbin Carroll will... To a lesser extent, it's it's just a small concern. He he, I think more likely than not, he'll be a pretty good source of power, and I do expect him to be a good source of speed and uh, hit for a pretty good average and all of that. Uh, I prefer Henderson, both because I I I think there are fewer questions about the power production, and because at that point in the draft, you know, we talk about how outfield is weak, and it is, but at that point in the draft, it's it's kind of your last chance to grab a third baseman you feel good about. And uh, so there's there's a bit of a position scarcity thing going on there when, when we're talking a redraft situation. Can somebody answer the question as to why Corbin Carroll's picture on MLB, uh, minorleaguebaseball.com, he has sun lotion all over his face? Yeah. <laughs> he that a lot. He wears a lot of sun <laughs> lotion. I'm good at suntan lotion. I, it's funny enough, I uh, I mentioned this before. I was I got to be a part of a private uh, signing that he did uh, just a little bit ago, like a couple months ago. And I'm pretty sure he was uh, dolled up with that, too, because he was going out to uh, Salt River with a couple of the games. Listen, man, you are understating the importance of taking care of your skin in a very <laughs> brutal sun. So that if anything, that should raise him up a few notches that he is making sure he is fighting off cancer. Uh, Wells, do you agree with Scott's point earlier that he made that maybe it doesn't feel like Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson are of the Julio Rodriguez ilk or a Ronald Acuna type prospect, uh, this generational type player and fantasy player that we've seen in years past? Do you feel that way as well? Uh, yeah, I think that I think it's a perception. I think perceptionally, yes, that, that completely agree. Like. Year after year, it's Vladimir, it's it's Acuna, Julio Rodriguez, Wanda Franco. You had Kelnick in there even at that time. Like mm-hmm. it felt, and we laugh now, it felt much bigger than Gunner and Corbin Carroll did because also Gunner and Corbin Carroll really weren't up at this level. Like what they did in the minors, they dominated such a, at a high level with guys coming off the list that they just kind of boosted up. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Guys like, you know, Julio and Vlad, they would kind of hover. They'd hover in that like four or five range, and all of a sudden they would just get in there. And I think, like, I thought you were actually going to ask me a different question. I thought you were going to ask me my assessment of uh, what Scott says about Corbin Carroll. And no, I don't agree. And I've, I've, we actually had this conversation like a month ago. I, I disagree about the concerns on Corbin Carroll's power versus Gunnar Henderson. As a matter of fact, Corbin Carroll had uh, isolated uh, the ISO power uh, metric. ISO was less than Gunnar Henderson at only one time in their entire minor league career. And that was low A. Every other time Corbin Carroll outperformed that. And as we you know, talked about Corbin Carroll put up absurd home run numbers across the board, even though it is a little bit more of a hitter environment. But both of them lack that crazy high physical upside that we look in like number one overall picks. It kind of seems like Corbin Carroll, but I would agree with doesn't look like a player that's going to hit like 30 home runs out the gate like uh, Julio Rodriguez does. And Gunnar Henderson doesn't look like a player that's going to put up a 2030 season like Bobby Witt Jr. did. So, yeah, they both kind of lack some of that that upside of the superstar. It looks like they're going to be really good fantasy players. It's almost like, hey, we're about to get, you know, Austin Riley and Cedric Mullins or something like that. And it's like, that doesn't get everybody super excited. Those are weird comps, but th- that doesn't get everybody <laughs> excited like Julio Rodriguez, Ronald Acuna, yeah. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The name yeah. that comes to mind for me when I think of Corbin Carroll is Starling Marte. And again, th- I don't sure. think that's underselling him. If he turns out to be 
a 280 plus hitter with 20 homers and you know 35 to 40 seals that's an awesome fantasy player that's you know a yeah. second round pick for fantasy and and you know just getting all formats in here like one thing starling Marte's always been bad at is walking and that shouldn't be an issue for corbin carroll so right. you yeah. know maybe even better uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to argue this round and round because it'll take up half the podcast, but just for posterity, I, I do want to say my concerns about Carol's power is is more the kind of parsing you have to do when deciding between one and two than, oh, I think Corbin Carroll's, you know, only going to hit a dozen homers. And so I don't want, like, if he hits 25 home runs this year, ha-ha, Scott, you're an idiot. <laughs> I, I don't think you should say that because I certainly think that's in the, the realm of possibility for Carroll. Of course, um, you know, I can't, I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't make every take I have. Uh, I can't make myself immune from the, the, the accusation of idiocy for every claim I have. But for this particular None one, of them we can. I'm doing it. Uh, for what it's worth, Seamer has upped the projection on Corbin Carroll's home run output to 20 this season. And that's over 128 games. So, you know, if, if he plays 150, you know, maybe we could e- see even more than that for Corbin Compared Carroll. Compared to that, too, uh, Gunner is uh, 21 over 139. So I just want to point that out. Yep, that is fair. Top 50 prospects on Scott's top 100 list that are expected, by my estimation, to be on opening day rosters. And the names that I have here, Tristan Casas, Scott's 13th ranked prospect. Number 18 is Ezekiel Tovar, shortstop with the Rockies. Number 21, Josh Young, a third baseman with the Rangers. Number 42, Oswald Peraza, shortstop with the Yankees. And number 48 is Logan Ohapi, a catcher with the Angels. Scott, I'm going to throw the corner infielders your way. Well, you're going to get the middle infielders here. Uh, Tristan Casas and Josh Young. I think there's lots to be excited about for both. Um, I think it was weird that Josh Young struck out as much as he did last year at the major league level. He didn't really strike out that much in the minor league level. And then Tristan Casas, the thing that stands out to me most, he only played 27 games. He really finished strong, showing power to all fields. I mean, we're talking opposite field, home run off Garrett Cole over the green monster. I mean, that is super impressive stuff for Tristan Casas. So I am interested in both Casas and Josh Young, they're going outside the top 200 right now in early ADP. Yeah, you should be interested. I'm, I'm interested too. Casas is somebody I've, I've always been high on. Um, I've seen comparisons for him ranging from Joey Votto to Freddie Freeman. And the production in the minors hasn't backed it up. He's had some trouble staying healthy. He also missed time in 2021 uh, representing the United States and the Olympics, I think it was, right? Yep. Um, so it, the, he didn't always get the volume that uh, you would expect him to get. But, I mean, he showed the skills after his call-up to the majors. The walk rate was ridiculous, and that was a constant for him in the minors and opposite field power that for a left-handed hitter is going to play really well with the green monster Fenway park. So I think, I, I think he has a very high ceiling, obviously not going to be a base dealer, but um, in terms of everything else uh, you want from an offensive player, I think Tristan Casas has the potential to deliver on it. Yeah. The young strikeout situation is concerning. I mean, a 38% strikeout rate, particularly from a guy who, even before he emerged as a power hitter in the minors, like he was, he was a hit tool guy. He was great plate discipline guy. Uh, so that it just went completely wildly the opposite direction. And his first look at them in the majors, pretty discouraging. And it's his numbers on sliders in particular, just dreadful. Uh, and, and so he's actually lower in this year's rankings than he was in last year's rankings. Like the, the promotion actually damaged his prospect stock, which happens sometimes. Uh, but he's still projected to be the Rangers starting third baseman. You can make the case, okay, he missed most of last year with a fractured foot. And even looking at his AAA numbers, there, there's reason to think maybe he was a little rusty. He wasn't in midseason form when he got that, mid, that, that late season call up. So, you know, you don't want to just, you don't want to just, toss the guy overboard uh, at the first signs of trouble if, if you've been invested in him in a dynasty league. I, I do have, I, I used to think he was a very safe prospect and I don't, I don't know that safe is a word I describe to him anymore. It was a really small sample size, 26 games with the Rangers, but again, Josh Young struck out a bunch during that time, 38%. Uh, Scott, I will point out that it was the shoulder last year for Josh Young. It was the foot the year before, so he's just oh, okay. he's dealt with injury after injury, but 
point taken regardless. Um, Welsh, Ezekiel Tovar and Oswald Peraza. Tovar is with the Rockies. He missed a bunch of time last year due to injury as well, but when he played, he was very good. 71 games, he hit 319, 14 homers, 17 steals, a 927 OPS. And then Oswald Peraza got off to a slow start last year, but from June 1st on in the minors, he hit 291 with 14 homers, 22 steals, played 18 games with the Yankees, and looked really poised. Uh, solid plate discipline, 10% walk rate, 16% strikeout rate. I really like what I saw from Oswald Peraza in the small sample size last year. The early ADP Tovar going at 259, Peraza at 360. So if you play in deeper leagues, you can get either one of these guys as a middle infielder. Yeah, and I just want to, not to backtrack just one second, I just want to come back to the, the young things. I don't want to interrupt anybody, but I I am fully in the camp. I just want to say that that shoulder injury during spring training, I was there watching him walking around with a brace on his arm and doing nothing. He just had an arm brace. That guy went almost a full year without seeing pitches, and then he all of a sudden was staying with rookies in uh, ACL and complex. He played in complex league. He went up to AAA, and then he was in the majors. It was a crazy adjustment that, like, I definitely think we can be um, pick, picky at him, but it's a lot of missed time and not a lot of time to readjust. And, like, I'm not surprised that a guy like that, after all that missed time, might have a little bit of trouble with sliders after, like, 100 and something games between playing in rookie ball to AAA and then the majors. It's just a big adjustment. Tovar, kind of the same thing um, uh, with the missed time. I thought this was a guy that was not going to get pushed, and I thought he was going to probably play in the AFL again, but they didn't. They let him get up there. He had a great minor league season, 14 homers, 17 stolen bases. You know, statistically, he's been up there. The walk rate, I don't love it. Uh, in the majors, it was 5%. It was 8% in AA and AAA, and it had been lower than that in the lower levels. So I do worry that that's going to be a problem of his uh, making consistent contact. Probably like a 15-15 homer guy. You know, funny enough, I think with, like in my actual ranks, I'm going to value Tovar over. But if you talk about value, Peraza is a better value, especially if he is going to be able to get that job. And they're going to give him all, all the opportunity to get that job. And I think they're more incentivized to not bring Volpe up immediately and let, unless they trade uh, Torres. And they're going to give Peraza that. I mean, you're looking at a theoretical 2020 guy. You know, he hit 19 homers in 99 AAA games with 33 stolen bases. Steamer projections is eight homers with 10 stolen bases in 66 games if you give him a full season i think he makes a type of contact he's got some sneaky power he absolutely can steal and make a difference his only downside is hitting lower in the order what'd you say it was 350 for praza 360 that's i mean i think that's crazy i think that's a crazy good value and for all intents and purposes i see tovar as more of a 15 15 guy who in the future is going to hit higher in the lineup i do not think that happens this year and that's going to put him at probably low run in rbi totals and i'm a little bit worried about the walks and strikeouts colorado's an extra benefit i like peraza in redraft more this year and might even be able to jump up lists and then there might be a bounce back on tovar into future years but i would take peraza with the discount uh definitely for this year i, I think the one mitigating factor there is like tovar is the rocky shortstop and they don't have many other places to go the yankees have a few yeah. different places they could go at shortstop right. other than peraza including uh you know a, a prospect who ranks well ahead of him on my list anthony volpe um but you know isaiah kind of is going to be back to the much to the chagrin of yankees fans everywhere <laughs> and uh you know, Peraza was having trouble finding his way into the lineup toward the end of last season. So I'm I'm hopeful that he gets an honest look from the Yankees and Aaron Boone this year. But it's it's not it's not the slam dunk it is for Ezekiel well, Tovar. I'd also say, remember the Rockies. The Rockies are you know one like uh, one drink night away from signing Jose Iglesias back to the team <laughs> on a two year deal and uh, pushing Tovar back. They're not that is True. not something that they won't do. So. True. Just remember that. Uh, the one other name on this list was Logan Ohapi, who I mentioned. I think we all expect him to be on the opening day roster for the Angels. He came over in the Brandon Marsh trade last year, and he's a catcher who put up monster numbers last season in the minors. 283 batting average, a 416 on base percentage, 26 homers, and a 960 OPS. Max Stassi is still signed to the team, but I don't think that's going to factor in here, Scott. I think Ohapi is already the better defensive catcher, and I think they want to see what he could do at the plate as well. So uh, maybe it's like 90, 100 games for him, but if you play in a two-catcher league, he is going to factor in those leagues. Yeah, he needs to be drafted in all two-catcher leagues. The thing they does that's most impressive is is get on base. Cue the, cue the Jonah Hill, Jeff. 
416 on base percentage overall last year. It was 473 after he got traded from the Phillies to the Angels. And he just, Oof. like, his, his power production went bananas too. Not that he wasn't having a great, like, he already looked like one of the, the biggest risers among prospects before that trade, but he just took it to another level afterward, got that late season promotion. I think the whole package looks a little bit like Will Smith in terms of being a disciplined hitter with power who, who, you know, earns high marks defensively. So you don't worry about that impacting his playing time. Uh, It's, it's, it's somebody to get excited about for sure. Who would you rather have Logan O'Hoppy or Gabriel Moreno talking about young catchers that might, you know, be splitting a little bit of time for redraft? I'd rather have O'Hoppy for this season, Welsh. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd rather have O'Hoppy just because I think he will play more than Gabriel Moreno from from the jump. You know, once we get to you know a couple of months in, I think you know Moreno could take over as the starter for the Diamondbacks, but I think O'Hoppy will get more plate appearances from the jump. So I, I'd, I'd and, go with him. And I don't know, like Moreno has a really good hit tool. Uh, but other than 2021, when in very limited time, he he showed good power. Hasn't shown a lot. Like, I'm not sure he's a power hitter at all. And I, I think, you know, it, he's kind of a weird case. He's not in my top 100 prospects, Gabriel Moreno, because he's technic- he technically doesn't qualify as a rookie anymore. Yeah, he's out of that. He didn't lose eligibility uh, because of it bats. And so, you know, sometimes those players do make their way on other prospect rankings around the industry. And I think he'll be ahead of Ohapi on most of those lists where where they do include Moreno. But uh yeah, I think you know, probably a better real life prospect than fantasy at this Are point. any of the decisions because Frank, you were like this year, does it change in a full dynasty? Is does Gabriel Moreno take the lead later or is it still Logan Ohapi? I think Moreno probably still has more long-term upside. I mean, he has to lift the ball more. That's what it comes down to. He hits too many ground balls. He makes a lot of contact, but if he ever wants to tap into power, he's got to lift the ball more. So I think there's probably some more untapped potential with him than there is for Ohapi in a dynasty league. But, I mean, for this year, uh, I I would go with Logan Ohapi. I don't know if you agree or not, Welsh. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think it's I think it's super close. I I on Logan O'Hoppy, I've got him. If you're playing in a 15 team league, I would be comfortable drafting him as a starter on the back end. I think people are a little too gung ho about Gabriel Moreno taking over that job. I think it's really interesting. I actually think there's kind of this we're seeing the blueprint of how teams are going to treat these awesome young catchers that we get excited about. And nobody wants to hand the reins over. You know, if Francisco Alvarez is going to even be any form of a catcher, they're going to have him hitting and they're going to have him kind of playing <clears throat> on the back end. Moreno, the same thing. You might see it with Logan O'Hoppy. You know, they might not be comfortable yet. And I think that's going to be kind of the future poll for a lot of these other catchers that are going to be coming up, whether it's the Pirates guys, the Dodgers guys, are they going to play other positions? I just don't know how many how many teams are comfortable handing over the catching gig to a rookie unless their name is Adley Rutschman. Yeah, and of course, they have to be good defensively. And, you know, for Logan O'Hoppy, he actually has that in his favor, too. So that's why I think he's going to be the starter for the Angels on opening day. Hopefully, that's just my take. We'll see what happens in spring training there. Top 50 prospects on Scott's list that I think will be on the opening day roster for their respective teams, but not entirely sure. I guess there's still an outside chance that something weird happens and they don't make it on opening day. Uh, And this list includes Scott's number nine prospect, Miguel Vargas, with the Dodgers. You know, could play some third base, could play the outfield for them. Francisco Alvarez, catcher slash DH for the Mets. And Matt Mash Mervis, who is a first baseman with the Chicago Cubs. They signed Eric Hosmer this offseason. I, you know, I still think there's a better chance than not. Mervis could be the DH on opening day, uh, but just a slight bit of doubt. If you have listened to a fantasy baseball podcast this offseason, you have heard about Matt Mervis, who jumped three different levels mm-hmm. last year, and he mashed at every single one of them. And then Welsh and I saw him out in the Arizona Fall League where the first game I saw him, boom, home run. I was like, are you kidding me with this guy? And then I see him in the uh, the Fall Stars game, which, you know, again, this is a collection of the best within um, the Arizona Fall League. And he hits an opposite field home run there, too. So it's just he could do no wrong right now. Matt Mervis has been on fire. Uh, Scott, you'll get these three. Miguel Vargas, Francisco Alvarez, Matt Mervis. Do you think that they will be on their respective opening day rosters? Uh, my guess for all three is the same as yours. Yes, I, I think the uh, the the odds may be lowest for Francisco Alvarez, yeah. who we saw at the end of last season. But it doesn't seem like you know he he basically uh, he, he he was mostly just called up uh, to play some DH for the Mets. 
and it doesn't seem like they're ready to turn catching duties over to him. Uh, they did trade James McCann this offseason, but they signed Omar Narvaez, so they do have they do have alternatives while they're waiting for Al- Alvarez to prove ready. But, you know, I, I still think there's a good chance he does make the roster as kind of the backup catcher and a part-time DH, and, and they kind of ease him into the role. Uh, to the role that maybe he fills for the rest of the career. I'm not. I'm not sure he's ever going to be in a position where he's a true number one catcher, as opposed to uh, a DH who sometimes catches. But tons of power there, and uh, he'll be catcher eligible in fantasy. So if he does make the roster easily, I, I think that pushes him into the top twelve at the position. But even with the doubt right now, I'd, I'd say everyone in two catcher leagues should be looking to draft Francisco Alvarez, probably in the top 15 still. Miguel Vargas, I have him ninth, as you pointed out. You're not going to see him much higher than that on many lists. There does He does seem to be a little bit divisive, but everybody acknowledges he can hit. He, he, he looks like a guy who's going to hit 290-plus every year of his life. He, he hit 300 plus every stop in the minors, basically. And, uh, and that should come really easily to him. The concerns are, where is he going to play defensively, which lowers him in a lot of real life lists. And, and from a fantasy perspective, there seem to be some questions of how much power he's actually going to provide. Is he only going to be a 20 homer guy? Is he going to be able to grow into more than that? Eileen. Yes. Eileen. Um, that this is going to be a middle of the lineup force uh, over time. Uh, the plate discipline is so good, and he's just the hitting comes so easily to him that I, I think there's enough power there for him to uh, to build on to and and to grow into. Um, and, and like visually at the plate, he, he like reminds me of Miguel Cabrera when he first came up for the Marlins. Now I'm not going to say Miguel Vargas is going to have a career like Miguel Cabrera had. There's just a certain quality he possesses that makes that, that scream star to me. Uh, and so I'm very high on Miguel Vargas and, uh, and Matt Marvin, uh, Matt Marvis, Matt Mervis, though I think you've surpassed me in your love for him, Frank, because you seem to be pretty <laughs> obsessed I'm a big Matt Mervis fan too. And uh, I like that for being such a big power hitter. I believe he led the minor leagues in extra base hits and total bases and was, you know, with his 36 home runs, he was close to the lead in that too. Uh, but for all that power, Matt Mervis shows a low strikeout rate. And it got lower every time he moved up the ladder. And Cubs internally have made comparison. Like they, they think they have another Anthony Rizzo on their hands. Who's another power bat who has who doesn't strike out much considering, and uh, had obviously a great career in Chicago. So uh, there's a lot to get excited about there. Will, will Eric Hosmer block him? I tend to doubt it. I think you know you look at the terms of that deal and where Eric Hosmer's been in recent years, and it, it seems more like a contingency signing. But I, I doubt they signed him to get zero at bats. So it is going to uh, it is going to have some impact on Mervis's playing time, even if it's a small one. I think there's a chance that those guys kind of just shuffle back and forth between first base and DH. Um, and, yeah. it, you know, I, I don't think it's a problem for Hosmer to be around. I've said this before on record saying, I, I think Hosmer being there could actually help Matt Mervis. Having a veteran like that who's been there, he's done that, former top prospect. Uh, I actually don't have a problem with Hosmer being there for Matt Mervis's value. Little sneak peek behind the curtain here. Our rankings will go live on Tuesday, January 17th on the site. And my number 21, 20, 20, 21, and 22 first basemen this year are Tristan Casas, Matt Mervis, and Miguel Vargas. So I am yeah, it, it is pretty hard excited. To, it is hard to separate those guys. I agree. It, it's going to come down to how they're looking in spring training, probably. I'll start right. moving them up and down the list accordingly. Uh, more on Vargas in just a little bit because the Dodgers did make a small trade today. Might affect his playing time. We'll figure that out. Uh, I have three more prospects here who are a true 50-50, in my opinion, for opening day. And Welsh, you're going to get th- these three. Two monster prospects here. We're talking you know, top five on basically everyone's list, and then someone who's a little bit further down. Jordan Walker, who is expected to play outfield for the Cardinals, is Scott's number four prospect, Grayson Rodriguez, 
arguably the top pitching prospect in the game for the Baltimore Orioles. He is Scott's number five prospect. And then a little bit lower down, we have Oscar Colas, who is an outfielder with the White Sox. He's number 40 for Scott. Uh, Welsh, what do you think about the chances for these three making the opening day roster for these teams? And I will reiterate something you've said this offseason. There likely is not a Julio Rodriguez in this prospect class. But just just real but, quick, I've moved Jordan Walker up to third. You said he's fourth. I've, I've moved him ahead of Anthony Volpe, so he's now third. All right, Jordan Walker, number three. Welsh, you said if anyone can do it, if anyone could be this year's Julio, it would be Jordan Walker. Yeah, I mean, he also, like, there's a lot of physical comps and and what he does as a game. He's a big, you know, he's six or five. He's, I mean, he's even in person, too, by the way, is like physically. Me, you saw me, right? I'm six foot four. I'm a big guy, but you see him, you're like, dang, he's just a big dude. So he's got that Julio Rodriguez physicality. He's also one of those guys that's got, you know, light tower power with sneaky speed. And something that in the AFL, they did a full commitment to him playing in the outfield because they're like, this is going to be your new spot. There's no home for you to play third base in the future. This was... The Cardinals clearly saying we are going to get this guy up now if he's ready and we've got to start the new position. So at the end of the year, they let him play, you know, in right field in the AFL. Not only did he play right field, but he played center field and he played some pretty good center field, makes good contact and steal bases. So, yeah, I think if we want to be cheap and we want to get headlines, which I've kind of done, like if there's going to be a guy that resembles Julio Rodriguez across the board, it is Jordan Walker, because also Jordan Walker, we're taking in the two fifties. That's where Julio was around January, February. Then the Mariners came out and said he's getting it. And then he started flying up ranks and that same thing would happen with Jordan Walker. So I think that's the guy that could do it. And statistically, I think we would go through the roof, 19 homers, 22 stolen bases. But the things that work against him, he has only hit double A. He was great in the AFL and this team is loaded. The Cardinals are loaded across the board. They got to make some moves. I mean, on the bench, they've got Alec Burleson um, and Nolan Gorman and yeah. they've got Wanya Pez at DH, which is kind of his spot. Their outfield seems pretty set. And I think, you know, they've made the commitment like he would be a future center fielder. So if the Cardinals were to make like a big blockbuster, Maybe they're going for a pitcher. Maybe they want to bring in a Pablo Lopez or something like that. I think the outfielders would be involved, and it would probably be a Juan Yepes moving or Dylan Carlson. And then that's a spot where we go all in on Jordan Walker, and I would be there because this is just a, a not-strikeout-issued player with a good walk potential. He really legitly could go 30-20. That's why you could take a look at those Julio Rodriguez comps. It's just when will he come up. And not to belabor it, uh, I think all of these guys are – 50 50s, but I think like I think Walker is like a 40 60. I think Grayson is like a 30 70. I really just don't know if, um, you know, if you want to talk about manipulation, the Orioles really do need to have as much control as they can. And they've got their guy that's going to hook them up for that first round pick, and that's Gunnar Henderson. There's a lot of missed time with Grayson Rodriguez. I find it really hard to believe that Grayson would break camp. I'm not saying it won't happen, but, um, you know, he had about 70 innings in AAA, and that was all he had. Uh, or in 2022, he had about 70 something innings. I think they'd want to press him a little bit in the minors, control it, and then bring him up a little bit later. But Oscar Colas is a guy that I think is the 50 50. He's already projected on roster resource as a starting outfielder. Uh, this was an older player that needed to get some innings under his uh, belt from missing time. He's already 24 years old. He got up to AAA. He didn't get a ton of games, but I think they've got uh, some holes there that I don't know if they're where they're going to fill it in other spots unless they're going to do trades. So Oscar Colas is a guy that he didn't do the uh, Uelke Cespedes thing where it was like absurdly crazy, bad contact, not, you know, he's striking out like Oscar Colas for the most part, he had a little rough bump in AAA. For the most part, Kept the strikeouts kind of low. His walk percentage was all right. He was hitting homers. Hit at 300 across all three levels. He went from high A to triple A. I think those are good signs that the team would be willing to get him out. He could uh, you know, get out in the outfield. Maybe can keep Eloy off there. So, again, 50-50 Colas, 40-60 Jordan Walker, 30-70 Grayson Rodriguez. That's just my opinion. Oscar Colas, the numbers last year in the minors, he hit 314, as you mentioned, 300 at every level, 23 home runs, and an 895 OPS. I know the White Sox signed... Andrew Benintendi this offseason, but they are a team that could use another lefty in that lineup. And I think Oscar Colas can fit in there, uh, you know, with Benintendi and Grandal, who's a switch hitter at this point. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely interested. I want to see how he does in spring training. I think there's a legit shot for Oscar Colas on opening day. Yeah, there uh, needs the to White be Sox. more talk about him. I, I feel like I haven't yeah. seen 
a lot and his numbers. I mean, especially when you consider he hadn't really played since 2019 uh, between the pandemic and there was a delay for the White Sox signing him. And, and like he should have been really rusty. And he just, uh, especially as the year went on and he moved up to to double A, he just he just mashed. So and I, I want to throw out too. Loss. I know you are. And that what's something that's interesting. I just want to throw out is my personal ranking on him. I have met 39. And if I can give yours away, unless you've changed it, you have met 40. That's what I yeah. had on my list before you met. So, I mean, you and I were locked up and neither one of us had access to each other's ranks. I completely agree that he's, he's very underrated. It might even cheaply be thrown into kind of like what Yuelke did. And uh, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, people will throw in the lack of success with some of the Cuban players that come over immediately, and it, it it gets really stupid. It has nothing to do with it because Oscar Colas is a gamer. This is a big time mm-hmm. power hitter. What's his well, um? I, what's his ADP in NFBC right now? Let me pull that up for you, Frank. Look okay. that up. I was going to say, like, yeah, Q, Q started out. He's he's Cuban. He's a Cuban defector. He was the but, Cuban Otani, if you remember, if everyone remembers. But I say he last played in 29. It was in Japan. He spent a couple of years yeah. in Japan. So Colas has been around. He's seen some things. He's yeah. he's pretty well seasoned for a guy who who did have that long layoff and is still only uh, 24. And he was pitching at that time too. That's why he was, you know, the Cuban Otani because yeah. he would, you know, throw a little bit. wasn't really starting. It was more in relief. And he's completely scrapped that to become a hitter and just massive success across three levels in his uh, in his pro debut. I think it speaks uh, volumes. He is the 370th player off the board right now at NFBC. So about ten spots behind Oswald Peraza. If you want to take a shot yeah, on I, either I one of those it. guys. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Let's take a break. Before we do that, reminder, again, I already mentioned this. I'm out next week, but here is the program schedule for uh, next week again. Live streams on Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. So we're not going to be live at night. If you want to watch, it's again 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern time next Tuesday and Wednesday. And we'll have podcasts in your audio feed Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday mornings. Uh, Questions are starting to roll in. So you can always leave a five-star rating on Apple and throw the question in the review. Or you can email us at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Let's take a break and we'll be back back right after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Some news and notes here from Wednesday. The Dodgers acquired Miguel Rojas from the Marlins in exchange for minor league infielder Jacob Amaya. And last year, Rojas hit 236 with six home runs and nine steals. I don't think we have much interest at all for him in fantasy. But, Scott, we talked about Miguel Vargas and... You know, earlier in the offseason, you know, we were pretty optimistic. There's all these places available to play for Miguel Vargas. Then they signed J.D. Martinez, and now they trade for Miguel Vargas. The cream rises to the top. If Miguel Vargas is performing in spring training, I think they're going to let him play. But it's just annoying that there's one more mouth to feed now for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, a little bit, but I, I'd kind of look at this another way. I, I mean, usually when the Dodgers are acquiring players to block people, they're acquiring like Trey Turner or Max Scherzer. You know, like they're these are not normal Dodgers acquisitions. Miguel Rojas and a clearly past his prime, JD Martinez. These are guys that they're bringing in to fill out the roster. Uh, and and Ken Rosenthal reported during the the winter meetings that they're they're kind of. Um, they're kind of looking to, to have more of a youth movement this year, which would feature prominently, among others, Miguel Vargas, I would imagine. So, I, you, you know, you look at the roster before they traded for Miguel Rojas, and there wasn't a lot of people who could play shortstop. That's the one thing he can still do really well. He's not much, I mean, he was never 
a power hitter, but he used to hit for average, doesn't do it anymore, but he can still play shortstop. And so uh, I, I expect Gavin Lux is going to be the primary option at shortstop for the Dodgers still, but they need somebody who they can trust to capably field, field the position there to back him up and dispel him on occasion. So that's what I think Miguel Rojas is there for. And I, I don't really think it's going to impact Vargas's timeline or playing time. All right, Nelson Cruz signed a one-year, $1 million deal with the Padres. Cruz is now 42 years old, and he did struggle last season. He hit 234 with 10 home runs and a 651 OPS. Missed time for various ailments, groin, back, ankle, quad, knee, and then he his season was ended with eye surgery. Uh, he dealt with inflammation that was apparently blocking his vision. So I guess if you want to look at a glass half full, uh, maybe that was affecting Nelson Cruz's um Output last season. Welsh roster resource net for now has Matt Carpenter in left field and Nelson Cruz at DH. I don't know. I think you just kind of follow the money here. One million dollars. I I don't know how much Nelson Cruz is going to play actually. Yeah, I actually don't think this is any lock that he's going to even break camp. Uh, they're going to bring the camp opens up in a month. I'm going to be out there very first day. I'm actually planning to go to the Padres. So I will be reporting back to you gentlemen. And this is like another one of those guys I want to check out that I think he's a team leader of sorts with a lot of those players. You bring him in, you see if it's going to work. You see if the bat is still there. You compare it up against some great talent. If they still see it's there, I think they play him out. If not, it's an easy cut. I think it's a big boost in spring training. I'm not sold. I'm not sold at all that he is going to break this roster. But if he does, I think this would be like a really sneaky. I did a mock draft today where he was taken like, you know, right towards the end of a 15 team roto. And I was like, oh, it's a good sneaky point if you hadn't already locked up your util spot. But yeah, I agree. I don't think anything is a lock. It's the fallen knife syndrome we've talked about. Strikeout percentage went back up. He was walking a little bit more, but he was hitting for absolutely no power. And he was on par. His backup was on par with how it usually is. And the batting average completely tanked. This is a this is a big crew of guys that they've got out here here and for you know, if anything this might just be a placeholder for fernando tatis coming in but they just keep bringing in these guys the matt carpenters and stuff that can play lots of spots so we'll have to see and i i want to stress the one million dollar contract because i mean that 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 tells you how the front offices around the league yeah. are viewing nelson cruz at this stage that yeah. he got a one million dollar contract yeah mm-hmm. Uh, we did have another signing. The A's signed Japanese pitcher Shintaro Fujinami to a one-year deal. Jeff Passan reported that Fujinami is expected to start in the Oakland A's rotation. Really interesting uh, story, actually. I watched like a 20-minute YouTube video about him today. He was a phenom in Japan. He came out of high school in 2013, and then he went straight to the pros. Uh, and He was great from 2013 to 2016 and then was very up and down from 2017 to 2021, and he got his career back on track last season. Again, this is Shintaro Fujinami, 277 ERA, 112 whip, 115 strikeouts, over 107 and a third innings last season. He's six foot six. He throws hard with the fastball. He's got a really good slider. Does struggle with control. So, just a name you probably need to know in like AL only in the deepest of leagues. But yeah, have you guys looked at the Oakland A's rotation on Roster Resource? <laughs> you want to get sick? Have you looked? At, it's unbelievable the rotation that they're going to put out. It's the most Oakland A's thing that the A's have ever aid. So I just <laughs> want to throw that out there. Uh, Fujinami is going to be the number five. It's their aces, Cole Irvin, and it just it just progressively gets worse down the list. It's hands down the worst rotation in baseball, and I, I just don't think I had like comprehended or paid attention. I really stared at the A's a whole bunch instead of uh, unless I was looking at Astori Ruiz. It's weird because right now, uh, and and you know, roster resource doesn't have what the final rotation is going to be, obviously, but they don't have Kyle Muller or Ken Waldachuk in the A's. Like Ken Waldachuk's going to be in the A's rotation, right? He, he looked yeah. pretty good there, especially his last couple starts. I, I you don't read... think Drew Rasinski's going to take that. There? <laughs> no, uh, I don't know anything about him, but apparently he revived his career in the KBO, Drew Rasinski, and he's. 34 years old, so I don't know. Trying to catch a uh, Miles Michaelis or a Merrill Kelly kind of lightning in a bottle situation there with him. Yeah. Um, I think Waldachuk will be in the rotation. I read there's a chance that they go six-man, which uh, I think would suit someone like Shintaro Fujinami as well. So uh, we'll see uh, what happens with the Oakland A's. We did have a dimension change in Detroit. Comerica Park ranks dead last in home run. That sounded fun. 
I know. As I was saying it, I was like, they didn't actually change the dimensions of like the entire city of Detroit or anything. They, 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 they <laughs> Comerica Park wound up in Dimension X with Krang and yes. the Neutrino. <laughs> the new Quantumania with the Detroit Tigers. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I'm way far behind in Marvel stuff right now, but that trailer just looks oh, absolutely catch ridiculous. Catch up, Frank. Jeez. Catch up. I really have to. There, there is no excuse. Comerica Park ranks dead last in home run park factors, according to Satcast the last three seasons. Their center field wall will be moved in from 422 feet to 412 feet. Uh, the same wall will be lowered from 8.5 feet to 7 feet. The wall in right center will be lowered from 13 feet to 7 feet. And uh, the right field wall will be also lowered to 7 feet. Scott, I looked at expected home runs last year, and two of the top 10 biggest losers were Javier Baez and Riley Green. Riley Green in particular, they, they made all these changes to right field and right center. I think he could be a beneficiary, you know, maybe it's 15 plus home runs. Um, but I think this is something that could benefit specifically him. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a big disappointment last year. And um, and yeah, they, they needed to do something because famously Nick Castellanos, it seems like the best years of his career were... Um, were diminished by playing at Comerica Park. And uh, these aren't drastic changes. You know, it, it's hard to get much more drastic than like what the Orioles did last year. This, this isn't going to transform Comerica Park the way Camden Yards was transformed. But uh, it, in, in fact, I think I saw, let's see, who was it? Uh, somebody on Twitter was saying, and, and he had the video for all of them, only 11 more home runs would have been hit there with these changes last year. Mm -hmm. um, home and away, home the visitors and, and the Tigers themselves combined. Uh, that was Chris Brown of uh, Woodward Sports. Yeah, but I, I don't know that we have the full spectrum for how diff differently it's going to play because it's not just about home runs hit, of course. And I don't know that, that you could determine that with that much specificity anyway. It can only help. It can only help the hitters. All right, let's get back into some prospects. We've got about 10 minutes left here on the podcast, so we'll try to go a little rapid fire here. Two names that came over from Japan that you need to know. Scott's 64th-ranked prospect, Kodai Senga, a starting pitcher with the New York Mets, and his number 83rd-ranked prospect, Masataka Yoshida, is an outfielder with the Boston Red Sox. Scott, we'll come right back to you again. 30 seconds to a minute on each one of these guys. Senga got five years, 75 million. Uh, I didn't write down the contract for Yoshida, so bad job by me. Uh, do you have interest in either one of these guys? It's it's annoying that they have to take up two spots on my top 100 because there are a couple guys that I had to leave out that I would have liked to have in, but they technically are prospects because they haven't appeared in the majors yet. So, you know, Senga's... They're both about 30. I think Senga 30, Yoshida 29. Senga has more upside, 99. He's, or I think he's hit 101 on his fastball before. Uh, and then the ghost, the ghost fork that uh, was a higher rated splitter than Otani's when they were both in Japan. Durability issues, control issues, and just the uncertainty of anytime somebody comes over from Japan, how all the skills are going to translate different ball slightly parks are different hard to hard to know how to evaluate a 30 year old an unproven 30 year old for dynasty purposes right so that's why he's 64 yoshida doesn't have that kind of upside he did hit 21 home runs in japan last year I'm pretty confident that's not going to translate to uh to the american game and uh so, it, it, you know, what kind of impact is he going to have in fantasy? Well, the Red Sox are talking him up as the leadoff hitter, and he does have good on-base skills. So who was, the, who was the outfielder that came over to Japan for the Reds a couple years ago and, and was kind of being touted? Shogo Akiyama. Yeah, and, and obviously that was a complete disaster. It didn't pan out. Uh, but, you know, Yoshida's a different player. Maybe it'll go differently. I just I don't, I don't see a ton of upside there. Play discipline is really the calling card for Yoshida. So if you specifically play in a deeper points league, I think he's someone you want to look at. 82 walks to 42 strikeouts in Japan last season. Uh, only Luis Arise had a better K rate in the majors. So if you're just you know comparing those two, um, 21 home runs. I agree, Scott. We're not expecting that, but you know maybe 10 to 12 homers with a really good OBP, score a bunch of runs for the Boston Red Sox. I, 
I think that's possible for uh, it's, it's possible he's Alex Verdugo and Alex I mean, Verdugo is a useful player. So don't tell Steamer. I don't know if you guys saw this. The Steamer projections <laughs> came out. They're wild, like 19 homers, five stolen. But he hasn't stolen five bases in the last couple of years in the in uh, over in uh, Nippon. And the 19 homers, he had 21, two of the straight two last years. I mean, the 19 seems like a wild transition for argument's sake. I talked about this on my show Prospect One. Uh, Seiya Suzuki went from like 38 homers and went back down to 14. And it's not nothing is a one-for-one. One. Yoshida's got like an impeccable walk to strikeout. It's like literally double. He'd have 80 walks to 40 strikeouts and stuff like that. But he's just not, it doesn't look like the massive power hitter. I don't even think he's lit, hit leadoff. I think he was asked about it and kind of said he was uncomfortable with it. I mean, this is he's a weird, interesting take. I'm just not interested in him a whole lot. Maybe he's Alex Verdugo is probably a really good comp because Alex Verdugo had empty stats for a lot of years. I don't see stolen bases. I don't see elite homers. Maybe he'll shock all of us, but I'm not incredibly, uh, incredibly excited about it. Not like Steamer. Steamer's wild. Yeah, you know, there wasn't a Steamer projection until today because I remember looking a couple of yeah. days ago and there was no projection. So right as of now... Yoshida is projected 298 batting average, 19 homers, 87 runs scored, five steals, and a 388 on base percentage. I, that would be a really useful player for fantasy. So, uh, pretty good. I believe the also there. it was a the top 10 highest Woba in the entire league. Uh, quoting Rob Silver, who had put that there, 372 Woba is Ooh. what his projections on right now. So, oh. you know, take that for what it is. Uh, all right, we do have some big names that should make an impact at some point this season. Again, these are all ranked inside Scott's top 10. Number three, Anthony Volpe, shortstop with the Yankees. Number seven, Ellie De La Cruz, a shortstop with the Reds. Number eight, Jordan Lawler, a shortstop with the Diamondbacks. And number 10, Andrew Painter, a starting pitcher with the Phillies. Welsh, again... Maybe, maybe going a little aggressive, including Painter in this category. I think he could be up this year but it's it would be i think it would be an aggressive move on the phillies part no it's it would definitely be aggressive i I think he's still a teenager right he's like 19 maybe he's 20 years old but i I don't think he's turned 20 yet he was everything that i've 19 year old who dominated all the way up to double a everything that i've read though is that he is gonna be up this year it would be incredibly aggressive but people are talking about it like there has been chatter foregone conclusion basically uh welsh come to you you know a couple quick thoughts on each of these uh, when do you think we we see some of these guys? Yeah, I think it's a good list. I and mean, just going with Painter real quick, I think there's a possibility if he dominates like he did, he's going to move up to AAA quick. What are you going to get out of him sitting down at AAA for the whole season? I think they want to maintain innings. I do think there is an opportunity that you see him this year. I just don't know if it's a matter for fantasy because it might be more of in like a short-term relief role, a couple starts. They really do have to maintain his uh, his innings. 100 innings this past year. You can't probably push him past like 130 this year, or 140. So Andrew Painter is fascinating. Probably not a big interest as far as like redraft goes for me. Uh, Anthony Volpe, one of my favorite prospects in the game. I'm with Scott. He's like a top five, top six guy for me overall. I don't care about some of the early struggles. He came back from it. I think this is a midseason guy. Peraza and him make all the sense in the world, and they might make it quicker if they end up moving Glaber Torres in a trade. I love the power-speed combo, five-tool player. Volpe would get me incredibly excited, as would obviously Jordan Lawler. I think Volpe is up before Jordan Lawler. Jordan Lawler showed, uh, he really kind of answered all of those strikeout questions, made great contact, can steal like crazy, played A-plus defense out in the AFL and since I've seen him, and they're uh, getting him set to come up to the majors. And there's already talk as well as him being up there. Ellie De La Cruz, I have a really hard time with. I think this team might slow roll this one. So if I had to rank them, I feel like I would go Volpe, uh, Lawler, De La Cruz, and Painter in terms of when they would come up. All right. And a few more names here that could be up later on in the season. This is the one that's that Welsh referenced earlier in, in the show that you know maybe we thought there was no chance, but yeah. then I saw this article today and apparently the Rockies are going to try and have Zach Veen up before the All-Star break. It, it doesn't mean that's gonna happen. Obviously, Veen has to, you know, he has to perform in the minors in order to get that call, but he is Scott's 19th ranked prospect. Again, Zach Veen, outfielder with the Rockies. Number 22 is Brett Beatty, third baseman with the Mets. Number 28, Andy Rodriguez, a catcher with the Pirates. And number 38, Royce Lewis, who is probably going to have to bounce around now because Carlos Correa is back with the Twins. You know, maybe some third base, some left field, something like that for Royce Lewis. He's coming back from another ACL tear. Maybe June or July is the uh, expectation for Royce Lewis. Um, Scott, expectation for this group here this upcoming season? Yeah, um, I think the one... 
with like like Brett Beatty, it's it's you know it, it's going to kind of depend on Eduardo Escobar. It, thankfully, he's not going to be blocked by Carlos Correa now because Correa is with the Twins. Uh, but I, I really liked what I saw from Beatty. The little bit we saw of him last year was premium exit velocities even against left-handed pitchers and uh, kept the strikeout rate low. And that's what we saw from Royce Lewis for the little bit of time he was up to. The guy who's now currently blocked by Carlos Correa, and and just when. Like I, I, even though he's recovering from another torn ACL, I, I love that Lewis has already shown he can translate the skills against major league pitching. Like that is the most reassuring thing a prospect can do, and, and Lewis has done it. So good for him. Uh, Andy Rodriguez is going to be a really interesting case because, like, he could make the team on opening day if the Pirates were willing to do that because they're the pirates and they're obviously not competing for anything and they're always pinching pennies. Probably not going to happen, but he was ridiculous down the stretch last season. He is probably the prospect who raised his stock the most from August 1st on. 386, 18 home runs and 1193 OPS, as many walks as strikeouts over his final 67 games from a catcher who can also play some outfield, played some second base, you know, could maybe have that hybrid role while retaining catcher eligibility. Uh, I moved him up a lot just since November when we were last talking about him. That's Andy Rodriguez. And then Zach Veen. I'm not ruling out a Kyle Tucker outcome for, for Zach Veen still. I know the power hasn't been there like expected. The speed's been a lot better than expected, 55 stolen bases. Uh, but I, I think... Um, him being six foot four and still, uh, still being underdeveloped physically, I think there's a lot of uh, power growth yet to come for Zach Veen, <laughs> whether he's up this year or not. And uh, of course, Colorado makes uh, makes everything go better if you're a hitter. I think there's a pretty wide range in terms of just projecting Zach Veen. What is he going to be at the major league level? Well, so you and I have talked about this, and I saw him uh, out in Arizona as well. Really wiry dude. He is super fast. Every box score I saw with him, walk and stolen base. And then the first time I saw him in a game, walk and stolen base. So he's got a good eye at the play. He's got good OBP. I think the batting average will come. Power, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, that's just me. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm no prospect guru. But uh, yeah, I, I think the speed and the batting average will, in particular, be very good for Zach Veen uh, eventually. Other names that are right around 50 or below that you just need to know, we're not going to talk about these, but just have them on your radar for this season. Sal Freelick, an outfielder with the Brewers. Hunter Brown, starting pitcher, I guess, slash reliever for the Astros. Uh, Brandon Fott, who we learned was Fott, not fat, for the uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, a starting pitcher there. Uh, and then Edward Julian, a second baseman with the Twins. Dre Jameson, another pitcher with the Diamondbacks. And Esteori Ruiz, who is an outfielder, for the Oakland A's, he came over in the Sean Murphy trade, so should get some run there for the Oakland A's once again. Scott, we're going to wrap up with this. Last year, you were so regretful, so remorseful, that you left Spencer Strider <laughs> off of your top 100 prospects. It could have been your claim to fame. You're already famous, Scott. Uh, but anyway, uh, is there a Spencer Strider this year? Like, Who is on the cusp of the top 100 that like you want to get in, but you, there's just not enough room? Who is that player this year? Uh, well, I guess I would have to say it's uh, Cody Morris of the Guardians, who I actually had at number 100 uh, when I had originally sent you the list, and I ended up uh, leaving him off for another Guardians player, Chase DeLauder, their first-round pick from this past year, an outfielder. I ended up, oh, I got to get this guy in my top 100. So Cody Morris got bumped. But Cody Morris is a guy you don't see on a lot of prospect lists. Sort of like Spencer Strider. He wasn't showing up on a lot of top 100 lists last year, and so I wanted to make a statement like, guys, look at Cody Morris's numbers. They've been phenomenal everywhere he's pitched, including in the majors toward the end of last season. He was uh, phenomenal, maybe overstating it, but he was good. He was missing bats, and uh, the couple times he started made a pretty good impression. Uh, so I don't – look, I, I don't think it's going to go – I don't think he's going to have a rookie season quite like Spencer Strider had because that was pretty historic. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I like to load the back end of my top 100 with guys who I, I aren't going to show up on a lot of top 100 lists, but I, I think they're going to make a more immediate impact. Just kind of put a little spotlight on them. And it's getting harder and harder for me to do that 
because I think I just, you know, over the years I've come to appreciate uh, more of the, you know, more, more, more of the dynasty focus rather than uh, the short-term focus. And, and so it, it makes for a more traditional looking list, but yeah, Cody Morris is just one of them. I, I've always been a Kyle Muller fan. I mentioned him earlier, hoping he's in the A's rotation. I had to leave him out. Hayden Wisniewski, uh, no chance he has Spencer Strider's upside, but I, I think he could be pretty good this year. And uh, I had to leave him out. So those were gonna, a few of them. It's going to make you mad. I have Cody Morris at 99. So I officially, <laughs> I acquired Cody Morris from Scott. So everything he just said goes to me when he's successful. All the success to me. Just want you to know I'm at Who 99. Who can I leave out? I know. Well, there's, I, well, I, Addison, <laughs> there might be a couple guys in there. Addison but. Barger, Tyler Gentry. I, I know I like Tyler Gentry. Royals outfielder a lot more than you do. I'm not going to leave him out. That's, that's another statement pick for me. All right. Okay. You get, you get Tyler Gentry. I get Cody Morris. You uh, heard it here deal. first. Deal done. Mid-January, hot takes for the season. Scott said it. Cody Morris is this year's Spencer Strider. <laughs> Put it on the board. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Welsh, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.